This is Clinton Donnelly. In today's show, we're going to be talking about strategies for managing your wealth in ways that help you achieve the goals that you'd like to have. I think it's going to be an interesting show. Please stay tuned. Welcome to the Clinton Donnelly Show, where we explore how taxation and regulations of cryptocurrencies affect your daily life as an investor. Clinton has a law degree in international financial regulation. He is an enrolled agent and certified as a cryptocurrency anti-financial crime specialist. He has clients in 71 countries. He is one of the top experts in crypto taxation in the US. This show is sponsored by CryptoTaxAudit.com, the income tax experts for U.S. crypto investors. Are you frustrated with using online crypto tax services to calculate capital gains? Are you a high-frequency trader, DeFi, NFT, play-to-earn, or quail investor? Nothing is too complicated for the experts at CryptoTaxAudit.com. Are you frustrated that your accountant doesn't understand crypto taxes? Crypto Tax Audit uses a proven, bulletproof crypto tax return methodology to prepare a tax return that doesn't attract the attention of the IRS. Crypto Tax Audit also offers an exclusive audit defense membership service. It's like car insurance for your tax return. If your return gets selected for an audit of crypto reporting, they will defend you at no additional charge for the entire life of the audit. No one offers anything like audit defense membership. Go to CryptoTaxAudit.com to learn more and schedule a private tax consultation now. The opinions expressed in this show are not legal advice. Tax and regulations are complicated. Your situation is unique, so you should always consult a tax professional. Welcome, this is Clinton Donnelly, and in today's show, we're going to be talking to Jake Claver from Digital Ascension Group. And Jake has an interesting perspective on how we can manage our wealth as we start to accumulate larger amounts of it, and having a strategy to protect that wealth and to do the things that you want to have done with it during your lifetime and after. So please, welcome everyone. Jake, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you for having me on, Clinton. Uh, it was fantastic meeting you for the first time in XRP Vegas, and it's a pleasure to be here. So, Digital Attention Group, you can see in the background there, I'm the director of the family office. We specialize in digital asset liquidity events. So, you make 10, 20, 100 million dollars in crypto. We have all of the professionals in the U.S. that would help you manage that wealth and, and protect it for the future. And I'm, I'm the hub in that hub and spoke model. Right. So I have professionals like Clinton that I work with um, and I don't want to say farm out to, but provide for my clients that are going to be in their best interests. And what I do on my side is more the family governance and the generational wealth side of things. So we put together a family constitution that has your mission statement, your core values, your principles. And then adjacent to that, we put together an ethics document. We put together the governance document, how you want the family to use the money. 
uh, under what constraints people have access to the money, at what interest rates you're going to loan the money. We would also construct a financial committee. You might have somebody like Clinton on your financial committee that would help you make good choices with the money, along with some family members, as well as a board of advisors. And so, and I talked about this in Vegas, so, but it's, it's relevant. So I'll bring it up. If, if you come into a lot of wealth, you're going to have people that, that come to you and ask you to invest in whatever it is, right? And if you have systems and processes in place, you have all this documentation, you have your own family office, then when they come to ask you for those things, you say, yes, I'd love to give you the money for that. Please put together a business plan or a prospectus. And you can present that to our board of advisors or our financial committee, and we can make that investment as long as it meets our standards. And so there's no animosity between you and those other family members or friends, whoever comes to you. And then you have a system and a process. And if they do have something good and they put it together, then you can invest in it. But just it creates that extra layer. And then obviously we have a lot of other things that go along with that. That's what I do in particular as the director of the family office. And I'll sit on the board, you know, of your family office if, if that's something you're interested in as well. You know, that is, that is so critical. You hear stories, Jake, you know, about pro athletes or people who win a lottery. They come into a sudden bit of wealth and within a few years, they've lost it all. And their life is now, you know, is more impoverished than it was before because they had tasted wealth and, and had it squandered, stolen, lost. And their life is full of trauma. And I'm sure there's breakage in terms of, you know, relationships. And, it, and what you're proposing, what Digital Ascension Group does is let's put a fully thought through strategy in place right up front. You call it liquidity event. You know, when someone comes into a lot of money, have a plan, have a strategy so that you're not enticed by someone with a great sales pitch who just wants to con you out of your money. Yeah, exactly. And if you have a plan and you can execute and you surround yourself with people that are experienced in managing money and, and it's hard to figure out who's trustworthy, right? I've done a lot of due diligence and made sure that I'm on the front end of this. And, you know, I've interviewed over 200 individuals come down to the 50 that I work with. And, you know, some of them said that they had certain expertise, they didn't. Other ones, um, I didn't feel met the criteria that I was looking for to personally work with and be able to refer clients out to. And the other piece about what I do that's very different than the majority of family offices that I've found is I don't fee share with any of the individuals I work with. Um, so when I send you to them, there's no monetary incentive based on whatever they offer you. So let's say, you know, they want you to invest in a certain type of portfolio and they run an RIA and they get management fees and whatever it is off of that. I'm completely unbiased. I have no monetary incentive based on the product they're trying to sell you. And I can give you an accurate holistic view from my side of the table, whether you should do it or not. And if any one of these professionals doesn't do what they say they're supposed to do, then we can remove them and plug in somebody else that's going to do that, right? Um, I, I run a virtual family office or a digital family office, and that gives me that, that ability to pivot and plug people in where I need to. Whereas if I had, I mean, a single family office, you could fire the individuals if they messed up, right? But then you've got to go find somebody else, recruit, all that. And with a multifamily office, you're kind of stuck with who, whoever they employ. So it's really cool to be able to cater to my clients based on the amount of wealth that they have and, you know, where they are and what jurisdiction they've resided in the U.S. as well. 
You know, I think that's great. I should probably take a little second and talk about this term family office. Um, and, you know, I mean, a lot of people have probably gone down to Fidelity or some similar brokerage and they've talked to some really nice guy who's told them about the great mutual funds that they offer and they got them you know, a 401k set up or an you know, IRA and he's their guy. He talks to him once a year. He's like a wealth advisor. He he certainly asks a certain set of questions that a responsible person should have. But when you have a significant amount of money that you want to keep for the family because you've had a big liquidity event, you know, you need more than just a handful of mutual funds. You know, you need more than a guy who's selling what he has on his sale list that he can sell these things and he's just giving you those things. You need uh, more dedicated staffing and resources, which is what the family office is, right? Exactly. Yeah. They're professionals that work for you and your family in some specific capacity, right? So in the model that I offer, they stay on retainer, um, they work by the hour, or maybe there's a, a seasonal rate for the pay by the investment. There's a couple different ways that we do it. But um, they work specifically for you and your family, whereas, well, and, and the people that I'm working with have multiple families that they're dealing with, they consult. And the other, the reason for that in the current environment is there's very little regulatory clarity here in the U.S., so there's very few individuals that are even willing to delve into this area. Clinton, you find yourself in a rare position, right? A CPA that's, that's almost catering to the people that have crypto or digital assets, and the majority of CPAs throw their hands up and, and walk away, right? And it's the same with the estate planners, the accountants, the wealth managers, investment officers, funds and foundations. Uh, almost everybody I deal with is an anomaly because they've realized that this is a niche that they understand and they can excel in. And with that comes a premium that they can charge for their consulting, right? So as the space continues to develop, and regulation moves in, I think that there'll be a lot more professionals that are willing to move into the space and learn about it. But until then, um, you and I are kind of the, the only show in town. Uh, that's really true. You know, I, I should just let people know yeah, the regular brokerage model, stocks and bonds, if you will, other traditional investments, you have people like chartered financial advisors and you have chartered financial planners. And then you have like these guys that we talked about at Fidelity selling mutual funds, they have to pass a certain tests. And, and there's about six of them. They could pick whichever one meets their needs. It's called Series 6, Series 7, very popular, 63, 66. I mean, it's the 30. You know, there's a bunch of these tests for all little niches. But what happens is that when you get, and everybody should know this, that when someone takes that test, they get certified to sell certain things. Doesn't mean they can sell everything. And this is why there's a problem with cryptocurrencies or digital assets, because none of these tests authorize those people to sell digital assets. In fact, the certifications that get associated with those tests specifically forbid them from talking about things that they're not certified on. So if you ask those people, well, what do you think I should buy in terms of cryptocurrencies? They're not going to disclose to you. They may not, it's very common. They will not disclose to you that they're going to recommend anything in that space because they're only authorized to push you towards these products that they're authorized for. So people have limitations on the advice that you get and they're not going to tell you what they can't tell you. So this is why someone in Jake's position who, who is not restricted by the certification limitations can say, here's different parties you might talk to. For example, of course, there's certain certifications for stocks and bonds. There's another certifications for real estate investment. 
in other categories, insurance, being a certified financial planner. You know, you're not certified on any sort of financial, only certain categories of financial plans. So as a crypto digital asset investor, you know, people watching this show are looking for be a little bit out of the mold, just like you said. So what sort of tools now when we think about financial planning, one is like, well, I want to invest my money. I don't want to put it all in one basket, but I want to invest it to continue to have steady income during up markets and down markets. Uh, but at the same time, we have a need. I think it's becoming people are becoming more aware of this, Jake, that what happens if I die? You know, it, this would be very tough. Uh, I have a client uh, who he and his daughter invested a lot in cryptocurrency, him in the latter part of his life. And she kind of helped him, but then all of a sudden he died like that. And so all of a sudden, where's the inheritance? How does she take possession of these? Can she take possession of these coins? There was really not a structured transfer. It's just that she knew the keys, she could take the coins. And so inheritance and sudden death, these things are, are, are all very important things to plan. Plus, it's not just a matter of do I get it to the right people, but maybe I don't want it to get to certain people. Maybe you got a child that is an addict of some sort that they would squander anything that was given to them. You might have provided to them, but in a very restricted, structured manner. A lot of goals and financial goals that we have, as you talk about a family office, you're talking about the wealth that the entire family is sharing in or in some manner. What sort of tools and devices do you think are, are helpful for people to be aware of as they start to think about these challenges? Well, in that case in particular, a trust is fantastic, right? And there's a lot of different types of trusts that people would use for the different, you know, situations that you mentioned there. So um, I work with a, a QC, a qualified custodian, PolySign, Standard Custody and Trust. They're a trust bank, and they actually have the setup specifically for this application, right? They're kind of Again, the monopoly in this space. So um, my trust attorneys that I work with traditionally set up entities for your trust, an entity or a trust in Wyoming, just because of the favorable laws that exist there around digital assets. Kraken, you know, they got the first banking charter. They're located there, Ripple relocated there. Um, there's a lot of reasons to be in Wyoming. So I, things I often see spendthrift trust in the instance that you mentioned there where you might want to limit uh, a child's ability to get to assets or the income from those assets and it's doled out on a regular basis in a specific cadence, which you predetermined when you set it up, um, is a fantastic tool to kind of mitigate some of those risks that you talked about. And then often I see people use a, a digital asset protection trust filed in Wyoming. And what a lot of people don't realize when they're, they're setting up a trust is they're, they're giving away uh, ownership of the assets, right? And so... In doing so, you, you need somebody to manage those assets and make sure that you're not being pursued by creditors if you are getting access to them because you still retain control, you just lose ownership. So you have a trustee that has to approve all the transactions and their job is to make sure that you're not being chased by any creditors, you're not using the assets within the trust to pay those people off. And so traditionally up to this point, you've had to shard the keys and split the keys with them in some way and basically you couldn't authorize a transaction keys back together. It's kind of been a complicated process. Um, but with standard custody and trust, qualified custodian, you can hold your assets there. They require multi-factor authentication with the YubiKey passwords and a few other things, but they also require multi-person authentication. So you'll go in, you'll try to process the transaction. It'll ping your trustee. He's going to verify that you're not being 
pursued by any creditors for whatever you're trying to do with the assets, and then he can verify the transaction as well. So they've they've got this pretty well set up. All of the vaults there for these digital assets are insured up to $50 million. So a lot of your clients, I would assume, have done really well, maybe in Bitcoin or Ethereum. I think that they're a fantastic traditional solution for the custody of those assets um, and the ability to pass those rights on to the next generation inside of a trust without any of the pitfalls that you mentioned before, like what if they don't have access to your keys? What if they don't know where they're at? Who's supposed to get what inside the will and the trust, right? So there's just a lot of unknowns in that space, but if you can have a qualified custodian and a trust set up, um, you know that those assets are going to get passed on to your lineage in the manner that, that you wanted them to be. Uh, that's really good. Most people don't think about what happens if I died tomorrow. Their spouse may not even know, you know, where their 24 key password is for their ledger. What happens if they lost their ledger? How would you recover that sort of thing? They have no idea, no strategy. And like the two-factor authentication, well, which phone is two-factor authentication? What if that phone gets lost? I mean, these two things are like, you know, massive complexities in people's lives. And oftentimes the people that have to pick up the pieces after you die may not have understood what you were doing with cryptocurrencies, didn't even know how to get on the Coinbase or anything like that. I was talking to my stepdaughter who was going to handle all some of our inherited stuff. And I had to show her, I had to tell her, go create an account on Coinbase. All right. Go create you know, I said, you go create a Litecoin account because I'm going to send you some Litecoin. And she's like, oh, wow, this is big. I, I had to force her to do these things. Otherwise, she wouldn't have known what we're talking about. What's an address? It was just the basic building blocks of, of the conversation. Most crypto traders are the lone person in their family to understand these things. Another way that I've seen this as a good solution is you find somebody that you trust and you guys are crypto buddies. Okay. So it doesn't work if you're both in the same car crash, which would be horrible. But <laughs> if you have somebody else that you know, like, and trust that would take care of your family, make sure you have their information written in the will where your digital assets are listed. You've got some type of living will. Pour in will if you have a trust would be great. Um, and, and you don't necessarily have to disclose the keys, but at least show where the passwords are and, and how they can access it and get to it to be able to help your family. And then, you know, if they're your crypto buddy, maybe they do the same thing for you. Right. So if one of you were to pass away, suddenly you've got another person that can help your family and make sure that they're taken care of and they get access to your assets and, and use them. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, you really do need somebody like that. You know, like I have some Cardano, I have a, a Yorio wallet that sits in my browser that somehow stakes it. And like, unless somebody knew what that was and knew how it worked out there, you don't even see those coins on your ledger. You know, you have to do this, do this, all of a sudden magically they appear. And this is the type of knowledge that people don't transfer into death. I should mention that just for listeners that if you come into a significant wealth, there are issues you need to worry about from a tax point of view. In the United States, we have what's called a unified gift exclusion. You're allowed to give people gifts during your lifetime. Currently, it's about $17,000 each year. That's fine. You don't have to report that. It's not tracked. That's just the freebie, the annual exclusion. But if you give bigger amounts than 17,000, you have to report those on a gift tax return. Now there's no tax with a gift tax return typically, but what's happening is it's tracking it against your lifetime exclusion. Currently the lifetime exclusion is, I, I think we're pushing almost 13 million. 
Uh, that is to say, the first 13 million of your assets upon death are transferred without tax. Well, that's kind of nice, but we're talking about people who might have more than 13 million in their lifetime. You consider the value of a house. Amounts in excess are taxed at 40%. That's very significant. And this um, limit, which is almost 13 million right now, it changes every year. This is a temporary thing. I believe it during 2017, it was bumped up. It was doubled in size, actually. This is what the, the Bush administration had called the death tax. Uh, it, w- it went from roughly, I'm thinking about 5 million, 5.5 million. It jumped up. Now it's 13 million. It goes away at the beginning of 2026. So it drops back down to 5.5. The Democrats, not this year, but last year, they proposed the, the Build Back Better plan. They were proposing that that limit be brought down to three and a half million. So what would that mean? That upon death, any assets in excess of the three and a half million would be taxed at 40%. All right. So this number is bouncing around. It's a ping pong ball for Congress. And as well, assets that are transferred via the probate system, which would be by your will, rather than through other structures, trusts, entities, et cetera, then you're subject to potentially state taxes as well. So- when you have significant wealth, it's very important that you have a plan. You just can't go get a book and read it because the tax laws are changing. How they affect these things are changing regularly. So a lot of people are looking at how can I exploit the, this gift exclusion of you know $13 million right now. Let's just say it's going to go away, but I want to capture this period of time. I want to use up that $13 million. I don't think it'll ever come back, and I'm going to use it up. I want to maximize that gifting and realize it now, not until I die. And then that excess, well, I want to put that in, I guess you'd probably put it in trusts. So they would not be distributed at that time, not subject to the gift tax. This is, we're typically from a tax point of view, and there's lots of different viewpoints. We're trying to maximize the exclusion and minimize tax after the exclusion. We're trying to maximize spousal transfer where typically gifts to spouse, there's no limit on it typically, if it's a U.S. citizen spouse. And as well as maximize the annual distributions, you know, so you, know, you could set up uh, a trust where a certain amount's being given annually to individuals, like you kind of called like a spendthrift trust is a type of that, where I'm never giving more than the annual gift tax, so I'm avoiding the gift tax. And then you have the, I mean, I just, I'm just throwing out some tax ramifications on some of these things. What are your reactions to those? What sort of things do you see people trying to do? You know, that's great. Um, and I'm glad you brought this up because it's, if you think you're going to have a significant liquidity event, so say, let's say you own some Bitcoin right now and you're underneath that threshold and you do think it's going to the million, right? And it may not go there overnight, but it's going to start to climb and it could surpass that before you're able to get it into a trust just because how volatile these markets are, right? So if you're going to move those assets into a trust, it's the same for the death deal, right? That 13 million, anything that you're gifting into an estate would have 40% tax implications above that 13 million for each individual. So between you and your wife, you get almost 26 million as a married couple, and you could involve your kids in it too. If you were to diversify your funds across multiple wallet addresses that they owned, they could gift it into the estate with no tax implication. But um, I've, I've met with a lot of people that are just single individuals, maybe a little bit later in life, they've done pretty well, they put some money in crypto, and they're anticipating significant liquidity event, but they don't have their assets in a holding company or a trust. And if you were to see a significant run-up in the app debt and it were to stay there long-term in order to move those assets into a protection 
structure, the trust that we're discussing, you would be facing those tax implications, right? And we can, we can do some other things with some charity trusts, maybe some insurance policies to kind of mitigate some of those things. But it would be ideal if you could get those assets into that vehicle before the price appreciation. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, I have a client who you know, lived with his parents. He went to college, but basically lived with his parents. He never filed a tax return. And he got into crypto, and, and now he's sitting on $60 million. So, you know, he, he knows nothing about taxes. You know, he came to us, and he made $60 million and we did all the work, and then we had a conversation. You know, we looked at his tax records because we pull it through our, our audit protection system. You, you haven't ever filed a tax return. You, how about the previous years? Did you make cryptos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we got to fix that. You know, so <laughs> it's just, this is the typical customer I get. But what you're talking about is, a difference. So like right now he has 61 million. He could set up a trust like this. He could avoid tax on the first 13 million, but now, you know, he's got issues with the rest of it in terms of when he gives it later, every gift thereafter beyond the annual exclusion is going to be subject to a 40% tax. And that's on top of whatever capital gains he had that were involved. I mean, you know, you're going to get crushed. All right. So I understand people can say like, Hey, you know, I got 3 million in crypto assets right now. I could set up a trust where I move, I gift the three million. So it's a $3 million gift on a lifetime into the trust, but then I still continue to invest the funds in the trust. So you're in control, you're doing the investing. And in this situation, that guy could have grown that trust to say 61 million, but that growth in the 61 million is not taxable to him unless he takes it to himself. But he's already put into the initial million he could be taking out. If he wants to take some out, he could. But, you know, it's basically, it's, it's the growth is already post-tax, so to speak. So these are significant strategies. Now, it doesn't mean to take everything and throw it into one trust because you need a little more diversity than, than one yeah. tool to offer, right? I saw you smile. And my type, of, yeah, type of thing you like to think about. Me, me and you resonate on a lot of levels. Uh, <laughs> so... Another way that you could, you know, potentially mitigate those tax implications, um, you could wrap it inside of a private placement policy, life insurance, and it could back that policy. And then you could set up the trust as the beneficiary upon your death, right? So those assets would then be protected. Nobody could get to them. Uh, you can take loans against it. You could still leverage that. And that's another thing I want to discuss is you don't necessarily have to sell your assets. If you're able to have a qualified custodian who's able to hold those assets, People use DeFi protocols, but I would just caution you, you can get liquidated because of the volatility in this market. And that's why I've set up what I have with, with standard custody and trust. So they're the qualified custodian. We have a traditional fiduciary that will issue the loan against those funds. We'll draw up a term sheet and you'll get, you'll get first right of refusal if there were uh, a liquidation event, right? So you're able to buy them back before they sell them on the market, um, which you can't do with the DeFi protocol. But I digress. If you're able to take loans against your digital assets, that's not income. It's debt. And so therefore it's not taxed. And so Clinton's going to love that, I'm sure. Do you have anybody that currently does that? Uh, some people do that. I just want to say that, um, you know, you have to be careful of that because if Hold you on, don't follow all the right things, the IRS could, in an audit, they could treat that like income. And then oh, you really? would tax on the same income. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's called a related party loan and it has to meet certain criteria. There has to be a real interest rate that can't be below it, below market interest rate. You have to be making genuine payments 
these are all the hallmarks of a real loan. There's actually a loan document, there are terms, there are penalties, and that you're complying with. It's not like you set up a loan, then you never made payments. You need to have a personal fiduciary that's going to issue this loan and have the terms, right? So it's not the family bank loaning yourself money. There is a third party involved on this loan, and there would be structured payments of some kind, a fair interest rate. What we've got is about 3.5% against your Bitcoin or Ethereum currently with the way I've structured this. Well, that would be good. That would be good to have a third party doing it. I mean, certainly the assets are the guarantee of the loan, which helps gives you a good reasonable rate. But yeah, the, these hallmarks, it, yeah, you're right. You just can't do this a wink, wink loans because uh, the IRS looks at that and they say, that's income and you're going to get taxed on it. So that's, that's pretty well established by the IRS. So a third party who is what we'd call arm's length, they have to go to the camera, get a real arm's length. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, this is a key element for helping make that look clean and above board but yeah i mean you can you don't want to be in a position where you're living off loans because loans have to be paid back but you're going to diversify your assets put a big chunk into the trust that we just talked about but other ones you're going to have maybe you can keep it for your own it's not everything does have to be in a trust you know it's okay to show some income a little bit of tax is fine you want to so it keeps the audit man away it does it, you know it, I, <laughs> When the IRS looks at somebody and they see, oh, here's some income. How much tax do you pay? Taxable income is zero. You increase your chances of being audited significantly if you pay zero in, in taxes because they know you're doing something that you know may or may not be above board. So th that's like, you, this is, IRS has statistics. You really want to pay some tax, right? That's yeah, a little bit. You want you want to show income. You want to be paying some taxes, and I'll, everybody should pay their fair share. This is the other reason I like um, charitable remainder trusts or foundations or five hundred one c's. So the, you can make donations to that to offset some of your taxable income, right? And if if you are working with a party or have your own foundation where you know where those funds are going to be distributed within your community, and it can really help people, uh, I think that's a fantastic use of those funds, right? Whereas the U.S. government, it's kind of arbitrary wherever they sprinkle them or print them or do whatever they're going to do, right? I think that that's, in my mind, an easy justification for, I don't want to say, it would be mitigating some of the tax obligation you have and then giving back to your community. Yes. Well, hey, we all benefit from the things the government does for us, roads, healthcare, overall net. I mean, there's things that government does do for us, whether you value it or not. I mean, they're entitled to some money. I'll probably get in trouble for that. Well, hey, Jake, it is so fun talking to you. I mean, really, I think what we're seeing as we talk to you, I mean, we just talked in a lot of general terms, but once you have your own life, what your liquidity event is that you're anticipating and what your family nature and, and, and challenges are, I think that's when you're going to start having a much more, even richer conversation than we did today. Yeah, fantastic. I'd love to be back if you'd have me. <laughs> I like to have that liquidity event. Uh, so so tell everybody, Jake, uh, how can they reach you? Yeah. So on all social media, I'm just beyond broke on those social media platforms. And that's that's in correlation with the mastermind. So we do private investment through that. We have an SVB provider. We go and find and source deals for our clients. It's adjacent to the family office, but that's another offering that we have. If you do want to email, you can find me at jake at digitalfamilyoffice.io, or you can go to that website, digitalfamilyoffice.io and book a time to meet with me. Okay. Very good. Jake, thank you very much for being on the show. This time passed very quickly, very enjoyable, and I wish you the best success. Well, let's talk again. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me.